1: America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning,
2: everybody. Um, we've had a number of shows where we are talking about the economy. We are we are having all kinds of experts speaking about. How long is it going to be? How long is it going to last? Is this the worst economy we've seen since the beginning of time, et cetera? So today we have Professor David Hess, and he is the author of a book called Local Movements in a Global Economy, Sustainability, Justice, and Urban Development in the United States. Welcome, Professor. I'm sorry, I can't hear um okay do you hear me now yes I do okay okay did you hear the introduction I did yes oh good well now you know that you're thoroughly introduced well welcome to our show thank you um, you I think you've written a number of um, editions of the book am I correct you just came out with the second edition
3: well this book is the second in a series so I've been I've been writing about um, sustainability and uh, local economies and uh, green jobs issues
2: Okay, so in the first segment, which is the first couple of minutes, I'd like to talk a little bit about the history, since you've, um, you've written about it, um, talk about when there have been soft economies, how local movements have been able to address and perhaps aid some of the unemployment problems in the past, and then in the second segment after the commercial break, if it's okay with you, we could talk a little bit about green jobs and how the local movement can um, sort of have an alliance in the green development industries and maybe we'll have some optimistic forecast. So tell us a little bit about the history. We are looking at unemployment numbers that are still quite dismal and they don't really seem to be improving. We had a recent um, disappointment because we know that the census Sort of inflated the the job reports, and it gave everybody a false optimism. And um, you know, we really seem we really seem not to be recovering from an employment relief standpoint. So, what's your view in terms of the history versus today?
3: Well, I, I agree that things are very grim, um, and I I think what I can do is talk about some possibilities that are out there, and one of them is in the small independent business sector, which I've been doing quite a bit of work on, and that's that's um, a large part of what that book is about. And then in the second sector uh, segment, as you mentioned, um, we could talk about the green jobs report that um, I've just um, finished and um, some possibilities, too, with green jobs. And I agree that there really aren't any um, solutions, but What we need to do, I think, with the local business sector is look at the potential here. The small businesses, that's businesses of fewer than 500 employees, create 64% of net new jobs, and they're 50% of all employed people. And um, this is really a significant source of possible jobs, um, but they don't really get the support they need at the uh, federal government level. And partly as a result of that, um, due to the structuring of the economy um, that doesn't really favor small independent businesses, there have been these movements, these independent business alliances and local first organizations that have sprung up around the country. And um, I've actually been involved in one here in the New York Capital District. We call it Capital District Local First. So in addition to, to looking at this as a national movement and trying to get a sense of you know, what's going on nationally um, and also in Canada as well, um, I've had a hands-on experience here in the Capital Region with um, what it's like to organize one of these independent business alliances and um, what kinds of problems the small businesses are facing. Um, so do you want me to go on? or?
2: Should... Well, no, well, okay. I mean, I was just going to ask, when you talk about you know, problems and solutions, it's okay that you're zooming in on a particular region. That's good. Um, I just want to know, you know, perhaps a case study of something that might work. Like, what do you cover as a local movement that, um, you know, has kind of grasped, um, you know, kind of found a foundation and was able to generate some money? Okay. Um, They're they're very... sectors
3: that we're looking at. Um, one of the most prominent is food and the growth of uh, farmers ne- farmers markets, local food networks of all sorts. So these are um, food co-ops, community gardens, which is what I focused on. I did interviews with lots of people in community gardens. Um, and um, restaurants, farm-to-table programs in cafeterias and schools and all of this. So, you know, th- this is an example of uh, one area where people are rebuilding local economies um, by basically it's, it's a strategy of import substitution. In other words, you're looking at um, items that are coming into a regional economy from other parts of the country or other parts of the world and looking at places where you can create local businesses um, by by buying locally. Um, the the other areas that are very prominent are retail, which
2: I could get into. It's a very hard case. Um, I would love very... to hear about retail. I would like to talk a little bit more about the green um, opportunities in the second segment, if possible. So perhaps retail is a good place to start. Okay. I mean, I would imagine that there might be the lemonade stand as a great... <laughs> Simple case study, but perhaps you could elaborate on that.
3: Yeah. Um, what, I, what I think would be a good way to talk about it is, um, is is a local first campaign. And in some areas of the country, there's what's called a 10% shift. So it's trying to get consumers to shift 10% of their discretionary monthly spending to locally owned independent stores. And these uh, programs have had significant impacts. So if we look at, say, holiday sales from last December, and this is um, Stacy Mitchell's work, who's, who's really you know, one of the foremost leaders of this, independent retailers were up 2.2%, whereas retailers overall were down 0.3%. And then if you have a buy local campaign, cities, there are about 100 cities with these in place, the retail sales for independent retailers were up 3%, and the same independent retailers in cities that did not have a campaign were only up 1%. So you actually get some kind of measure of what um, this campaign does in these cities. Um, So this, this is sort of educating consumers about the benefit of the locally owned independent retail
2: segment. And often that's... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, like, give me an example of how large these stores are. Is it a hardware store? Is it, you know, is it a coffee shop? Is it a community, all of the above?
3: It's all of the above. Um, For example, in our organization right now, we have 150 members, and um, some are independent coffee shops, some are independent uh, grocery stores, like food co-ops, even local chains that are, you know, at least privately held and locally owned. Um, The banks are a really big piece, and and we should, if we have time, get into the banks. Um, It's uh, any kind of independent retail. With the hardware stores, we include co-ops, so Ace and True Value um, are actually locally owned and they're independent in the sense that they they have uh, discretionary spending over what they decide to put on their shelves. So what's not included are franchises and chain stores.
2: Okay, yeah. so you would go into a community, right? Mm-hmm. And you would you would you would encourage a buy local campaign, am I right. correct? Right. And you have seen that there have been sort of an increase in sales as opposed to a decrease in the larger chains. That, that's that correct. Thought. Right.
3: Okay, and then the other thing that happens is when people shift their money, and you know, we're not talking about not going to the mall. Period. You know, that that's sort of impossible for for most of us, but just where it's convenient, where it's possible to make some shifts to these independent retailers, um, these are these are um, and and other independent uh, businesses. These are pillars of the community. Um, they. Um, they give more to the non-profit sector. They retain their profits. Um, They are more involved in civic activities, including political activities. And so there are all these studies showing that if you have a vibrant, independent business sector in your community, that there are all sorts of positive benefits. Um, And then the other thing is if you shift 10% of your market share to independent businesses. Uh, a study in San Francisco indicated that that would create 1,300 new jobs. It increases local revenue by $200 million. Um, now, if you multiply that nationally, you're talking maybe um, 400,000 jobs. Um, so that that's one way in which we can support the small business sector that is creating a lot of the new jobs in our economy.
2: Okay. Um, we have a couple of minutes if you want to talk about the bank's role in this. Okay. Yeah, the bank's, that's, right. that's really important. If you look at
3: small and mid-sized banks, they have uh, lower than $10 billion in assets. So they're just about 20%. They're about a quarter, a uh, fifth to a quarter of a percent of all bank assets. So, the, you know, they're a small piece at this point of the banking industry. But they're responsible for 54 percent of small business lending. So, and and you know the the um, small businesses are creating the jobs. So, um, if you go if you go look at the large banks, like the largest 20 that are responsible for about 60 percent of all bank assets, they only have 18 percent of their portfolio in small businesses. So. Um, Getting the small banks and, and the credit unions um, supported is another way to get money back into the um, small business sector, which is where innovation is occurring and, and other things. So um, there's a campaign you may have heard of called Move Your Money. It's um, moveyourmoney.com, which is associated with, with this. Um, and that's also asking people to uh, look at the possibility of shifting their bank account maybe not maybe not closing it down completely but shifting some of your money over to a community bank or a credit union Um, because that's that's going to be keeping your money more in your community and uh, providing that base of lending which is necessary
2: for the small business sector well, a quick, yeah, a quick question, though, are they letting the money go? I mean, you know, part of the problem with cash injections is that banks are hesitant to make loans. Are you saying that might be different on a local level? It's, it is different
3: with the um, community banks and credit unions. that You know, they're really involved in lending um, to the regional economy.
2: Okay, well, listen, we're going to take a commercial break. And what is the name of your university, Professor Hatt? Um Yeah, I'm at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. And that's in Troy, New York, that's am I correct? That's correct, yeah. All right, well, stand by. We'll talk a little bit more about how the local movement is forming an alliance with green, you know, green opportunities, urban farming, all of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. more when we come back. Please stand by and
0: don't go away.
4: Women in business today face many challenges in advancing their careers and reaching their goals. There are corporate executives, entrepreneurs, and business owners that have made their mark in business. Now you can learn their secrets and tips. Listen to Women Mean Business as your host, Bonnie Marcus, explores how to thrive in the business environment, navigate the workplace, and climb the corporate ladder. Listen live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and effectively promote yourself today. successful life stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts voiceamerica.com
1: welcome back to stars of pr with cindy r if you have a question or comment call in at 1-866-472-5788 Now, back to the show, here's Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back, and we're with Professor David Hess, and he's in the Department of Science and Technology Studies at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and we were talking about localist movements in global economies. um, Professor Hess has written a book about the movement, and we talked about in the prior segment, which you should go back and listen to if you have a chance, If there's a community effort to promote local business, you see actually an increase in retail sales rather than a decrease, which is a trend going on nationwide. And um, now we're going to talk a little bit about the um, green industry and how localism and the green industry can work together to perhaps make some similar improvements. Welcome back, David. Okay.
3: Thank you very much. So... um, let me talk a little bit about the green jobs and then connect that with the small business sector. These are kind of two separate issues. Um, green jobs can be defined in a lot of different ways. Um, they include manufacturing. A lot of them are service jobs. Um, a lot of them are in the energy industries, but it could also be expanded to include agriculture. So um, these jobs are growing at three times the rate of other jobs in the country. So it is a it is a growth area for jobs. Um, for people who are listening, I have a new report on my website, which is www.DavidJHess.org um, that I just completed with uh, funding from the National Science Foundation on policies at the state and local government level for green jobs. But I thought I would talk, uh, Cindy. If it's okay with you, I'd talk a little bit about weatherization jobs and transportation and renewable fuels because those are areas where I think there's quite a bit of potential for job creation.
2: Well, sure. I mean, what you know, if the listeners can take away from the show um, some some optimistic news and maybe even try to suggest this at their community board meetings and stuff like that, it would be very, very helpful. So,
3: please, go ahead. Okay, great. Um, You know, on that point, I just want to mention that Cambridge, Massachusetts, just passed a local economy ordinance, which will uh, create jobs by strengthening its uh, farm-to-cafeteria local food networks and also the local business sector. So um, it's, it would be interesting for people to take a look at what they've done there. Just just was uh, passed this week. But if you look at, um, let's take weatherization as an area. Um, now, this has been a little controversial because uh, there was $5 billion in uh, stimulus money that was supposed to create um, 90,000 jobs, which you know, is a good amount. Now, we're looking at, in our unemployment rate, about 15 million people unemployed, And uh, seven million are long-term, so we really need millions of jobs. And um, I can come up with maybe categories of hundreds of thousands, you know, and you start adding them together, and and, you know, it's a piece of this solution. It's not, it's not the entire solution. Um, But one of the most interesting things is at the local level, there's now um, property-assessed clean energy bond financing. So a city like uh, Berkeley, California, was one of the leaders. Uh, basically issued a bond, and then it funds homeowners to do weatherization or solarization of their homes, so it creates local jobs, and then it gets paid back as a line on their property tax over a 15- to 20-year period. Now, the um, Freddie May and Freddie Mac have recently uh, squelched this, um, so we're going to have to wait for federal legislation to bring it back. But meanwhile, other cities like Portland, Oregon have gone ahead and they're doing it with on-bill financing on the utility bill. So there are, there are ways around even what Freddie uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have done. But this is a great source of jobs and it you know what it does is it also saves money for people over the long term.
2: Well, it does. I don't know if people are going to find that very enticing because it's over a long period of time. I mean, you know, particularly with the economic climate the way that it is, but Um, If it does create jobs, I think that that all in all might be an incentive for people to want to invest in it in some way or another. Like, give us an example of the kind of job that it might create.
3: Well, okay, so take my house, which is, you know, I'm in a cold area of the country and very low insulation. Um, It's a huge upfront investment. So um, this would come in and they would actually provide the money. They, they would give me the money to make that investment. Um, and then my heating bill would be lower. And the amount of, lower on my heating bill would be about equivalent of what I'm paying in either an additional tax or a um, hike on my utility bill. So for me, there's there's almost no risk. And this this is what this program solved. is um, If I have to move, um, it stays with the house. Um, meanwhile... I'm not paying anything more per month because um, I have lower heating bill. Um, okay. It's just, it's sort of washing out. You see what I mean? Well, where does the job come in? I'm still not the job. The job is the weatherization person who comes in and installs insulation, new windows, um, and um, if you know if you put a rooftop solar, installs that. So that's that's the job, and then behind that are the manufacturing jobs because if you put new windows in, you're manufacturing windows. If you put insulation in your manufacturing insulation. So there's a multiplier effect behind that. And it turns out that this is one industry that is still mostly domestic in the U.S. So most of the stuff is not imported um, from China. So you're creating um, domestic jobs behind the installation jobs.
2: So is this mostly for people in the construction sector where you see the increase? I mean, where people are not building homes per se because of the real estate collapse, Um, people who may have been in the construction sector in the past might be moving over to these kinds of installation and weatherization jobs. Right. That's that's it. Um, A lot of these programs are
3: connected with um, city government and nonprofit jobs trainings programs, so they um, also capture people who have been unemployed for quite a while and who have low skill sets. So there's a training component that usually is connected with this. Um, But then after they get the skills, they can move into the construction.
2: Okay. And before you talked about fuel recycling, am I correct? Is that another thing that you want to talk about? Uh Uh-huh.
3: Okay. So another area is renewable fuels. Um, This is ethanol and biodiesel. Right now that um, creates about 400,000 jobs in the country. And that's with ethanol at about 10%. Um, in many states. It's not even at 10%. It's a, basically an additive. Um, the potential here is to go up to 85% ethanol with flex f- fuel vehicles and probably combined with plug-in electric hybrids. It's fairly easy to convert vehicles. Um, this this requires more policy at the federal level. The weatherization can be done more locally. Um, and um, so there's a potential here, you know, if you go up to E85 and you shift over to cellulosic ethanol, you can't do this with corn, um, of creating hundreds of thousands, even, you know, I've estimated up to 3 million more jobs. Um, there, there are environmental side effects of this, even with cellulosic ethanol, and there's a new algae-based form of biodiesel that's coming on. But um, this, this has just tremendous... Uh, potential for the united states you know because we're basically shifting jobs from foreign um, oil sources to the u s to domestic production
2: okay and there has been an increase in manufacturing because of this
3: well this uh, this is refining um, so it's the the back end of this is not uh, manufacturing as much although they do have some equipment for the refineries it's more Um, in the agricultural sector, so it would create agricultural jobs growing the um, switchgrass for the cellulosic ethanol. And then, um, I don't know if we're going to have time, but uh, the third area would be transportation. And um, right now there's a reauthorization of a transportation bill um, that um, if it's, if it's restructured a little bit to focus more on public transit, uh, would create hundreds of thousands of new jobs. And one of the things that we found in our uh, study was some of the cities are actually connecting their public transit purchases with local manufacturing requirements. So Oregon, for example, in Portland is putting in streetcars, and they're also having those streetcars manufactured right in the city. Um Chattanooga had um, electric buses and for a while they were manufactured in this city. Um, so there's a potential here to connect um, transit contracts with um, some local manufacturing so you generate um, jobs that way. All right, but it's also an investment to revamp a system. That's correct. That one is you know something that requires um, basically federal policy support, although we, we do have a transportation budget in the federal government budget, so it's it's partly um, looking at how that existing money could be shifted around, and if it's shifted in strategic ways, it can create um, more jobs.
2: Um, is, yeah, I think study. that the transportation um, the transportation model just might be a little bit long term because of the federal funding. It's It's rebuilding a lot of metropolis. I mean, I know that there are smaller ones and larger ones. I live in Los Angeles, and they're the lost cause for you. Yeah. Because, you know, if if a city didn't plan, do its urban planning correctly in the first place, it's kind of hard to rethink about how you could restructure things for building a subway system. But... You bring, you bring forward some very interesting points and anything this show was devised to demonstrate that there are some ideas, positive movements, and reasons to stay optimistic in this dismal unemployment situation. So I want to thank you for joining the show, David Hess. Um, best of luck to you with all of your endeavors and keep us apprised. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Okay, take care, stand by, more with Stars of PR, don't go away after the commercial.
5: Stop wasting time. Get what you want. Live your dream life. The Dream Big Revolution. Imagine having more freedom, better health, more money, happiness. Could your business be more successful? Unless you're living the life you want, you're wasting precious time. Your life is too valuable to waste. Let Leanne Hilgers help you find health, wealth, and happiness. Listen in and live your dream life. Join the Dream Big Revolution. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network.
4: Never be satisfied. Let that be a lesson you take away from Double Time with Double D, featuring businessman and former NFL star Dave Duerson. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back, and we're talking about unemployment in the United States. Everybody knows top of the headline news every day. Now we have Dr. Gertrude Schaffner-Goldberg. Welcome. Should I call you Gertrude? Trudy Trudy is probably better. That's what I'm called. Okay, good. Well, welcome, Trudy, and thank you for joining our show from Adelphi University, my hometown. (laughs) You mean Garden um, City, New York? (laughs) I'm a New Yorker that's been moved to
6: Los Angeles. Oh, well, I'm a little bicoastal coastal myself. Yeah, of well, fam- you know what? our family's in L.A. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, good. So you travel back and forth quite right. a lot. We right. probably have a great national perspective, and I know, also know that you are the co-founder and chair of the National Jobs for All Coalition, and that's pretty impressive. Well, um,
6: I hope that we come closer to our goals. Um, uh, which is to have a living wage job for everyone uh, who wants to work. But I will say that if people want to get far more information that I'm able to provide on this um, in this interview, uh, we do have a website that gives um, very up-to-date material, data on unemployment, uh, underemployment, wages, and many related topics. Um, uh, it's www.njfac.org NJFAC stands for National Jobs for All Coalition and, so, uh,
2: you know, I know that your credo is without a productive workforce none of the things we want to accomplish in this country health care for all, quality education for our children social security and elder care protection greening our economy, our infrastructure repair none of that can be achieved so your, your goals are very, very clear and um, I want to know a little bit about did you baby steps I know it's, you have a very challenging job there's a lot of politics there's a lot of legislation you probably have days of feeling like you've won battles and days that you just
6: feel like you're facing a war but how do you... Well, that's one of the problems you see when we started uh, and all along we've been talking about chronic uh, unemployment, the unemployment that people don't uh, really recognize. I mean, like in 2000, which was uh, the lowest um, unemployment rate in 30 years, you nonetheless had uh, on average 5.7 million people uh, unemployed officially. And then if you count... Um, as our official um, uh, statistics don't, the, the people who are working part-time but would like to find a full-time job or those who just stop looking um, and aren't um, actively seeking but would take a job if it came along. It goes to 13.3 million. I think I saw that as as many people as live in all of the New England states. Um, and um, so that we've been very concerned all along with that um, chronic unemployment, Um, and then, of course, that doesn't even include the number of people who are, um, uh, you know, working year-round full-time for less than um, a poverty-level wage, Um, and that number is another 17 million in good times. So we've been very concerned with that, and now we find, of course, that uh, unemployment has more than doubled, and uh, so we have a kind of continuing crisis, Um, The stimulus that has been, um, um, uh, you know, enacted um, probably has uh, kept our unemployment rate from going up as high as 16%, but even those people who have studied it and give them some marks for uh, holding down what would be almost, you know, moving up to the depression level um, say that this is still a jobs emergency and much more needs to be done and we think much more efficiently um, the job creation um, effort well no I, well I think that. That's probably true. I mean, there are plenty
2: of people out there that really do want to work, and they it's just give me a job, give me a job, but they're paralyzed
6: and they don't know what to do. Is there any kind of hotline matching people with tasks to... Well, I don't think that that's the main problem. I think the main problem is the tremendous deficit of jobs, and, of course, um, we think deficit also, uh, a, a double deficit of public in, investment. Um, What we do see is that um, the stimulus appropriated $787 billion, and um, as I said, it did um, probably uh, save a number of jobs, but we think that that wasn't done as um, effectively and efficiently as a direct job creation program where you actually employ people, and by the way, um, the government employs people. Um, By the way, the person, one of the uh, authors of that report that said that the stimulus did save um, a a number of jobs and did prevent the unemployment rate from going up says we really need depression, New Deal-style direct job creation. Now, we figure if you had done it, um, you were spending... um, perhaps, um, well, we, our estimate was that you were spending $200,000 per job with the uh, stimulus. But if you were to do this directly, you could do it for $50,000 a job, in other words, a fourth of the cost. And you could have really, instead of maybe 4 million jobs that we think might have been created, uh, that's an estimate through the uh, stimulus of the, uh, the um administration, uh, you could have created 15 million jobs, and that would have really uh, taken care of the officially unemployed. Um, And, of course, um, I probably don't have to tell your listeners, I I heard a piece of the last interview, uh, what this public investment deficit is like, but maybe I could just say, remind people of it. Um, You know, we have 154,000 bridges that are structurally deficient. Um, Some have even collapsed. We, our dams are unsafe, some collapse, weak levees await new Katrinas. Um, we have probably filled some of our health insurance um, deficiency, but not all of it. Um, one in three American families is unable to rent or buy affordable housing. It's probably higher now. Um, only about one in eight families who are... Uh, financially eligible for daycare get it, Uh, three out of four public schools need repairs, um, and so on. And, of course, I don't have to mention after this very um, record-hot summer um, that we have an environmental crisis that could be attacked through um, employing some of the unemployed um, just to even make uh, existing buildings a great deal more efficient. You know, to save some of the energy costs, uh, replace some of the uh, um, uh, energy-guzzling appliances, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all of this could be done. Um, we're spending billions of dollars on unemployment insurance and uh, increased billions on food stamps. Uh, well, yeah. Well, that's
2: my. It just seems to be an administrative problem that creates all of this paralysis. You give people handouts, and they're going to be enabled. Um, you know, you give people welfare checks; they're just going to sit and take the checks. I mean, this is psychological. So, my question is. You know, look, we could look at any community in the United States and we could think about jobs that need to be had. And you just listed some very, very practical areas where there might be employment, but you you could see it in the schools where there's a lack of children's aids you could see it in Everywhere. sanitation departments where you see a lack of an ability to pick up garbage so i mean surely there there has to be a way to stop enabling people it just seems like
6: a very basic well, people want to work, and you know Roosevelt and Hopkins, the head of the emergency, uh, Federal Emergency Relief Administration, really did not want to provide aid. In the form of income support. Now that's very, very important. And don't think that the unemployment compensation isn't keeping up purchasing power in the way that um, it was not done during the depression. Uh, you know, you didn't have any of those things, and people stopped consuming, and the and the uh, and the economy kept mushrooming, mushrooming downward. So those are important. But we say active labor. Mom, um, labor acting labor market policy, and Roosevelt and Hopkins said they really didn't want to just preserve the bodies of the unemployed, they wanted to preserve their spirit. Um, they wanted to honor the work ethic. I mean, you know, that's the creed of our society, and this is crazy double-bind that you, you don't have the opportunity to practice it. Um, uh, People want to work. They worked and were happy working. Uh, Look, um, people were said to be unemployable during the Depression. We went down to 1%, 1 1.2% unemployment during the Second World War. Those people went to work. Um, So unemployability is always a function of, of um, of, of employment opportunity. Uh, So we say, yes, an active labor market policy that does preserve people's skills, their morale, and at the same time gives us a bonus as a society. Um, You know, the depression programs were temporary. They never um, really did more than, you know, employ about a third of the unemployed, but they left a permanent legacy of Bridges and roads and playgrounds and plays in the most remote areas of the country and oral history and uh, support of artists uh, whose names became much very famous later on. Um, they just you know uh, you airfields. Um, it, it's an incredible legacy uh, from uh, using um, and and not and not destroying the. Um, uh, you know the, the production, productive power of the um, of the unemployed. We throw away a national product with this kind of unemployment, and so we say, you know, take care of these double deficits: the de- the deficit in unemployment, uh, and and the deficit um, of public investment and and particularly um, in both the services and in the physical infrastructure and, of course, in greening our environment. Well, listen, so thank you for spending time with to us. It's very possible to do, but we don't have the political support to do it. Um,
2: we're coming to the end of the segment. Dr. Gertrude Schaffner goldberg Adelphi University social work professor and co-founder founder of the chair of the National Jobs for All Coalition. Please check back for the website at the beginning of the show, and I want to thank you for joining us, Trudy.
6: Good, and I hope that more of your listeners will begin to push their legislators to um, consider uh, and support this kind of um, legislation that can really build um, the country and, and save the unemployed and their families. Here, are here to that. Thanks and have a good weekend. Thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Bye.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah.
1: Saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.brpublicrelations.com or call one 818 Movie premieres, charity events,
5: TV specials, radio shows.
1: VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.brpublicrelations.com. Money. We love it, we hate
4: it, and everything in between you can be the master of your life and your own economics join professor Lori Lomantia each week for the program making peace with money Lori will help you realize the power to create fulfillment in your life and shed new light on your money madness you'll learn how to make peace with money and feel the joy and freedom renewed in your life Making Peace With Money is broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Business Channel. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Seventh Wave Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Pop oh Icon Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall including three Cleos. Call in now at one 472 5788 and you can have one Okay, maybe not But she will answer your questions Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R
2: we're back, and we are in our final segment, talking about unemployment in America, and talking to experts about some ideas in how we might really relieve this problem that seems to be ongoing. Um, the next guest is Louise. Is it Owaku? I
6: can't.
2: I can't hear. Awachu. Awachu, Louise yes. Awachu, author of The Nightmare of Positivization, or po- is it positivi- positive vision? Yes. Okay, well, I like the title of the book, and I know that you come from an international perspective on things, so we certainly would like to hear what you have
7: to say. Yeah, funny how uh, the international perspective uh, agrees with your previous guest. Uh, I really loved uh, what the lady, the previous lady, had to say. Unfortunately, I didn't catch her name. Uh, But it is true that handouts from the government do not really solve the problem of unemployment. You know, I come from a society that does not have such uh, programs, and... Um, Maybe this is the time that when you have such massive problems that it encourages you to go back to being human and connecting with people and creating jobs in your own communities and allowing yourselves to spend less but live more. Uh, Otherwise, uh, this idea that there's always going to be some sort of government that intervenes to save you in your own life takes away the power of uh, decision and direction from your own life. And this is how, uh, incidentally, the, the entire country is lost. I think that's true. You know, I have to say I'm a baby
2: boomer and, you know, was a child in the early 1960s. Mm-hmm. And I came from, you know, a working class neighborhood in Queens, New York. And if kids wanted to make money, They had to go and find babysitting jobs. Or what we would simply do is walk into our grocery store and we would just pack groceries. We didn't ask permission if the cash register girl said it was okay. We were there and we would make our, you know, our soda money, so to speak, by the tips that people would give us from wrapping up their packages. Yeah. And that's the kind of spirit that seems to be
7: missing over the last
2: 45 years or so.
7: Yeah, because, you know, people have made too much money or maybe they have had access to superficial money that they didn't really make and that allowed them to overspend. So they lost the notion of the value of money and how much work actually goes into making as much money as you have spent. Right, because it was all funny
2: money. It was all money that people didn't have in the first place. So what do you suggest, Louise, in terms of, I mean, I mentioned that as kids we would go and we would pack bags. What can people do proactively instead of sitting on their butts waiting for a handout check and dreaming of, you know, being the actor that you
7: mentioned in some of the correspondence that you, sat, that you sent over to me? I think the most important thing is for people to realize that they're the ones who have the power in their own hands, in their own pockets, with how they spend their money. You know, there used to be a thing called Made in America. When I was growing up in Africa, you know, as you know, I'm from Rwanda, so when I was growing up back then, we used to see Made in America, and we used to dream. That's why we came over here to North America because of that vision of America but then you get to America and it's now made in China. So if Americans want to take back their way their, their jobs, they have to ask themselves, "Oh, what happened to our jobs? Where have they gone?" And the reason why they have gone to China is because you have stopped working and you have sent them all your work. So if you stop Spending on things that are made outside your community because this is how you encourage your community to bring money into your community and to have the creative workers and little small businesses, entrepreneurs in your community survive is for you to spend your money in your community in, with things that are specifically made locally. You can establish a parameter under which you're not going to spend your money on things that are made beyond that, and I can assure you that that's going to bring back money in your community.
2: Yeah, that's it. all of the guests so far have agreed with that point. I mean, it could be as simple as going to a farmer's market, isn't it? But there's always an investment. You always have to pay some kind of municipal fee, but most communities throughout the country are getting into this farmer's market mentality, and therefore if people grow their fruits and vegetables or make local crafts, they could probably go for a very um, small price
7: to get a kiosk, right? Yeah, and you know, our, com- our community how it functions is that the whole family pulls together, the whole society pulls together, and we don't have welfare, we don't have unemployment, we don't have health care, you know, we don't have... That support is brought by the people within themselves. They find the resources within themselves. This idea that there's a government out there that's supposed to solve your problems is the reason why your government gets so big and uncontrollable, and then you're lost, you don't know what it's doing, and it doesn't know what it's doing, and everyone is like, how come we're paying so much taxes and we're making so much money and still nothing is happening? because it's just uncontrollable the size of the the institution itself, because it, it takes on what the people are supposed to take on, so it renders the people irresponsible, if I may. Well, of course it does,
2: but as we said in the last segment, too, the government keeps on, you know, they keep on disabling people because yeah. they give people welfare checks and unemployment. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be aid. I'm not getting into that debate. It just seems to me that if a, there are plenty of voluntary jobs, quote, unquote,
7: quote, voluntary that people can do before they get the handout. You know, when I first came to uh, North America, I came to Canada, I had $30 in my pockets. So I was a refugee from Rwanda. Uh, so I had nothing. I started from zero. In the beginning, I went on welfare. And then, you know, when when you're from a society that takes care of itself, you don't even understand the system of welfare. I mean, as soon as I saw the system of welfare, I understood that it was never going to feed me. It was just going to enable me to be lazy and allow myself, if I want to live so cheap and so low, to stay so low because you can survive, you know. It's like, you know, it can feed you, but it cannot make you leave. So, you know, since I had ambitions, I had to be like, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna go out there and get a job, get two jobs, uh, struggle, go to school, do something. Because this idea, this this idea of getting fed while you're sitting at home, it, it just doesn't. It didn't make sense to me because I grew up watching people work, and even though in the beginning it might be enticing, as an African, you convert the money, you're like, oh, my God, $200, oh, that's so much money. (laughs) But then you realize that that is no way to live, you know. Yeah,
2: no, I think that you make some very good points. I know you go around the country talking, and why don't you share with us the name of your book again? It's The Nightmare
7: of a Positive Vision.
2: Okay, and I think that your book is all about not becoming enabled, and if you want to go, and if you if you need money, you better go
7: out and find work in whatever way that you possibly can. <laughs> about okay, well, knowing that no one us. is coming to your rescue. You <laughs> okay. are the rescue that you need.
2: <laughs> well, thank you, Louise, for joining us, and um, I hope that, people listen to you and, and read your book and we like what you have to say so everybody thank you so much safe. my pleasure okay have a great weekend and please go back and listen to some of the experts that I've had on this show there's some very very good strong points about movements that can be very positive for the economic malaise that we're suffering with in our country and world today thank you be good to y'all next week
1: bye i killed kill my mother to get on your TV screen. I am a death row psycho. I am a Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American
5: idol. I got I my mama to
1: get TV I am a death row psycho.